Good morning. Welcome to First EC. For those who are visiting, hope you'll fill out a little card that's on the back table. Let us know that you were here and let us know how we can contact you. Glad to see all the rest of you as well. Glad to have any of you who are out there on Zoom worshiping with us this morning. Just a couple of announcements that I want to highlight. First of all, um, there is something in the bulletin here about making some fleece blankets, fleece tie blankets, so please pay attention to that. There's a um, the time that they're getting together, Saturday morning, January 28th, 9.30. They've also asked for donations, and I think there's a plate in the back. There's a little basket on the back table for donations, and then there's also a sign-up sheet out on the bulletin board. And then the only other thing I was going to highlight was the fact that um, next Sunday, we'll st- this Sunday, we'll still not be having um, Bible study um, tonight, but next Sunday we'll get started again. Next Sunday, and the, cha- the time has changed to 6 o'clock. So next Sunday at 6 o'clock, we'll start again with our Bible study, um, looking at parables. Again, we've, we've just enjoyed taking a look, diving a little deeper, and, and trying to understand culture, trying to, trying to hear these parables the way a first century Jew would have heard them, um, doing the best we can as not being first century or being Jew. But just you know, as much as we can with any kind of research and any kind of materials that we have that help us to understand what did, what did Jesus mean, and, and what was he... What was he trying to actually kind of, kind of prod at when he, when he gave us these parables? So anyhow, you're invited to come on out next Sunday at 6 o'clock. Are there any other, any other announcements that we need to, need to share with the group this morning? Okay, well then let's, let's pray and, and prepare our hearts for worship. Good morning, Heavenly Father. What a beautiful morning you've given us. Thank you for this, this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together. We're here because we want to worship you, Lord. We know that you're awesome. We know that you're wonderful. We know that we love you and that you love us. And so, Father, we just pray that everything that we sing, say, and do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For the call to worship, I created kind of a little mashup, if you will, from the first verses of a few psalms that are close together. Psalm 93 starts out, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. When we go over to Psalm 97, it starts, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. So I invite you to stand. Let's sing our praises to the Lord To the God who reigns. Good morning, everybody. And we are going to be throwing some new songs at you here in the next month or so, but we'll start with a familiar one, one we haven't done in a little while.
doing I think it's the Bethel version of it um, if anybody's familiar with it please sing along with us uh, I don't know what else to say about it really. <laughs> let me get ready for it
Take, take a moment to just greet the person beside you or near you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't give you guys a chance to get up and walk around like that. <laughs> you to kind of start to find your way back to your back to your seats not not scolding sorry just uh <laughs> okay well maybe there's one I'm scolding <laughs> uh, we're all we're all good we'll take time now to lift up praises and prayer because let's start let's start with praises what what kind of praises do you have from this past week <laughs> Any? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yes, we have the have the privilege of having the, the whole family here this morning. Jenny. Came in. Okay. I can start using that, and that's for me. That's a big praise. Okay. <laughs> we got got a new computer in the in the uh, secretary's office. Uh, yeah. Just a praise for this twelve um, year old standing right here. He has auditioned for the middle school play and got a part, and he also auditioned for county band. So we're very proud of him. All right. Yeah. Nice job. We thank, we thank God for giving you all those abilities. We have someone over here. Okay. Okay. Um, this has been quite a weekend for me. Yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> As you know, it is my birthday, or it was my birthday on Friday. Uh, I turned 80, and uh, the family took me out and wined and dined me without the wine, of course. <laughs> but that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, yesterday, I thought everything was going to be calmed down, and I was going to come down here to the church and, and help celebrate a birthday with my cohort over there, Gene Lutz, because we're the same age now and, and share the same birthday. And I walked in and come find out that the birthday party was for me. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I told, I told this family, do not give me a party. I don't need a party. And they don't listen. <laughs> so they're going to see Miracle this week. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I just want to say there's no better party than to have a party with your family and your friends and especially the ex extended family here in church. Yeah. We really had a good time, and I love you all. Thank you. Good, good. Well, happy birthday. And so you, I guess maybe you gave us another secret then. I mean, so it's, so it's your, it was your birthday as well on Friday? Yesterday. Okay, well, happy birthday. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that one published. <laughs> Any other praises? <laughs> okay, well, you can certainly share some more if you, if, if you come up with any, but let's... Let's talk about prayer requests. Um, I'll start off by just letting you know that Ruth Baker did pass away on um, Friday, either Friday night, Saturday morning, sometime overnight there. Um, so she's passed away. We want to pray for her, for her family. Um, I understand uh, that there are some, some family dynamics there, some family members who, who need some, some extra attention and so forth. And so we pray that, that God will provide all the right people in all the right places at just the right time. Any other prayer requests? Are you going to pray that he doesn't have a surprise party for you? Oh, yeah. and we <laughs> uh, 
Uh, prayers for Marlene. She's in extreme pain. Her pain pills are not working. She met with the doctors, but there's a lot of complications to this operation for her neck and shoulder, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And so she's not sure what she's going to do. And also, I go Friday for my pacemaker, so I'm hoping I stay healthy all this week. Okay. Any other prayer requests? Aaron, back in the back there. Yes, I'd just like to say that Max still needs prayers as we're uh, working with the after effects of the chemo and radiation, which sometimes is worse than everything else. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. And then up front, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sharon Starr left me a message yesterday. She's got, a, sounds like she has a really bad cold. She's got procedures coming up this week, medical procedures and appointments, so she wants to be well enough for that. Yeah, okay. Any, any others? Okay, well then let's, let's pray. Well, Father, we do praise you. We thank you. We thank you, first of all, for just giving us this new day. We know that every day is a gift from you. And so we thank you and we, we ask you to bless it for us today. We also thank you that you have provided so many, so many ways for people this week to just recognize your your goodness and your care for us. I know there's, we, could, we could have stood here for, for hours to talk about praises, ways to praise you, but we just thank you. Thank you that you're always there caring for us, loving us, watching out for us. You've heard the prayer requests lifted here this morning. We ask for you to consider them and we ask for your, your healing for those who need it your comfort for those who need that. We ask for your peace and your just calmness for those who, who are anxious. We pray that those who are waiting for some, some procedures this week will remain healthy. You'll watch over them and keep them, keep them safe from any kind of illness. We do pray especially for the family of Ruth Baker as they grieve we pray that you do put all the right people in the right spot and help that family to, to be able to get through this mournful situation, but then also that you'll help them to kind of rearrange their, their lives, that they'll be able to continue, continue on even without Ruth. We know that everything that is good comes from you, Lord, and we thank you for your provision through the week. We thank you that you do give us what we need. You give us our daily bread. And so, Father, we take an offering. This offering that we have this week, we ask, Lord, that you would accept it. We ask you to bless it, and we ask you to use it to further your kingdom and to further your church. We ask you to let us know what part we have in that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me in singing hymn number six? Stand up and bless the Lord.
you may sit down and continue to bless the Lord. <laughs> Before I get started, I've asked Aaron and if James is James, would you come up? I've got a favor for you too, if you'll help me out. We've got got a couple of boxes, and we don't want them to be open. But just pick any two people over there, give a box to somebody, and you on this side, give a box to somebody over here, anybody that you want, but just give out the two boxes, but they have to stay closed. They're very, very secret. Okay? All right. Oh, you give it to a, man, to, to a preacher. Come on. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. You did exactly what I asked you to. Good job. Find another one you want to give it to? Any, anybody at all? And I don't want anybody to look inside. Who, who got them over on this side? Okay. And some, somebody in the back. Okay. All right. So, so we don't want to look inside. I want you to pay, pay attention to the, to the instructions on the screen. <laughs> Put them in your lap. Don't open the box because the contents are very, very secret. So I'm hoping that this is creating a little bit of a temptation, because tempting, isn't it, is the title that I've given this morning's sermon. Maybe it's tempting, for instance, to just kind of pretend that the box slipped out of your hand and happened to fall open on the floor. But since all of you are mature, disciplined adults, I'm sure you're not going to have any problem with this at all. So what if I increase the stakes? What if I told you there's something very, very special in them? What if I told you that one of those boxes has a winning lottery ticket for $500? <laughs> Tempting, isn't it? And, and I knew it. I knew you'd be tempted to shake it to see if it sounded like a card. <laughs> uh-huh. You can't just leave it in your lap. It's working already. What if I told you that one of them has a product? that will soften your skin and make you look 20 years younger. Tempting, isn't it? You want to lift it now, see if it's got the weight of a, a tube of, uh, of some sort of moisturizing cream, right? Since you're good, mature Christians, it's surprising that you're able to avoid opening the box in your lap, especially while there are people sitting near you and watching you, right? You've got people looking over your shoulder at the moment, but it might be a little bit different when nobody else is in the room. Is it going to be harder to resist the temptation at the end of the service when everybody's walking that way? And are you going to be tempted to kind of hang back and maybe just take a quick little peek, right? It's a lot harder to resist when you're all alone, isn't it? What's it going to hurt to open the lid a little? Who's going to know? Tempting, isn't it? And I see someone looking down at it. Okay, I just want to make sure here. We have all sorts of temptations like that where we say it's a little, little bit tempting, but what's it going to hurt if I buy one lottery ticket? Who's going to know if I go to that internet site? I'm all alone. What's it going to hurt if I fudge some numbers on my income tax return? Nobody I know ever gets audited. Tempting, isn't it? Well, consider what happened one spring evening at midnight in 1987 when seven million children suddenly disappeared. Did you hear about any of that? It wasn't the rapture. It wasn't a major kidnapping. It was April 15th. And the IRS had just changed a rule. And instead of just listing the name of a dependent on your form, now you had to provide a social security number as well. Suddenly, seven million children that existed just a year earlier were no longer being listed. Seven million children vanished because they were phantom exemptions. Those disappearing dependents represented one out of every ten dependent children in the United States. One-tenth of claimed exemptions had been lies. The temptation to cheat on their tax returns was greater than some people could resist. We know temptation is everywhere, and it's been with us since the beginning of the time. In my Bible, it only takes two pages before mankind 
is confronted with temptation. And mankind handled it horribly. Now before we go too much farther, I have a question for you. Is temptation a sin? Is being tempted a sin? No. No. If temptation, just being tempted, would be a sin, then that would make Jesus a sinner. And we know that's absolutely not true. Temptation itself is not a sin. Dealing with temptation the wrong way, that's the sin. Hebrews 4, verse 15 reminds us we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Now that's two double negatives, so, or a double negative. So let me just read it in the positive. We do have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. He was tempted just like you. He was tempted just like you, just like you. Now, you might have different kinds of temptations. He got them all. He's been tempted just as we were in every way. He suffered the same temptations we do. Now, the objects were probably different, but the temptations themselves were the same. He was tempted to to be angry, to, to be greedy. He was tempted with probably lust or slander or, or whatever might have come along that we recognize as temptations. Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now you might say, yeah, well, that's easy because he was God. He couldn't sin. I'm not sure if that's true. This is something that theologians will, will argue about. But Jesus was God, of course, but he was also a man. He had a divine nature, And he had a human nature. That human nature would be susceptible to sin. That means Jesus technically had the ability to sin. But of course he didn't. The, The most important point to recognize is that he did not sin. We have so much trouble with temptation, but Jesus didn't. So what was his secret? Well, let's look at a perfect example of Jesus experiencing temptation, and we'll see if we can learn how to win our battles against temptation. Now, during the Advent and Christmas season, as often as possible, I was using the Gospel of Luke. We're going to spend the next three months reading through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to follow Jesus' life. We're not going to go every single verse, but we're going to bounce a little bit. We're going to bounce chronologically, if you will. But we're going to spend the next three months in the Gospel of Luke. So far, as far as we are here, he's been announced, he's been born, and the Magi have found him. But now we're going to follow his ministry right up through Holy Week, through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. But today, we're going to take a look at how Jesus' ministry got started. I'm reading from Luke chapter 4, And I'm going to start with the first two verses. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It would appear that Jesus is starting his ministry with a period of fasting and praying. It's the perfect way to begin, especially a perfect way to begin a new ministry, spending time alone with God to receive some guidance and some direction. He probably intended to be alone with God, but we know he isn't left alone. He gets a visitor. The devil shows up. And there's something very important I want you to to notice here, the devil wasn't just like that annoying fly that bothers you when you're sitting at the picnic table trying to eat, right? You can shoo it away, it goes away for a while, and then it comes back, and you get a little bit of a break, and you can shoo it again, and so forth. That's not what the devil was doing here. Sometimes people remember the story as Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, he gets hungry, and then that's when the devil shows up to try and get him to, to make some bread. That's not true either. None of those scenarios is true. Look at how verse four, verse two begins. It says, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 
Going back to Hebrews again, remember that. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. The devil spent 40 days tempting Jesus in ways just like we're tempted. For 40 days, the devil was saying things that was trying to, to get Jesus to, get, to fall into temptation. He's probably saying things to try and make Jesus angry, for instance. You know, I, th- I think that's probably the first technique that Satan used. As soon as Jesus steps out into the wilderness, ready to start his ministry, there's the devil. Congratulations, you're ready to start your ministry. And look where your dad sends you. Wow, I thought he loved you. You know, start to put doubt in his mind, whatever, trying to do something like that, to either get him riled up against God, or if he wants to support his dad, maybe he gets riled up against me as the devil, right? For 40 days, the devil was trying to say things to make Jesus greedy, selfish, whatever. Maybe he spent some of those days using a different technique. Maybe he used some of those days to flatter Jesus, reminding Jesus of just how great he is, trying to puff up Jesus's ego. Well, we don't know exactly what Satan said, at least not for those first 39 days, but we do know that he was relentless. Tempting our Lord for all 40 days that he spent there in the wilderness. So when Jesus' fast is coming to an end, Satan makes one more desperate attempt. In verses 3 and 4, we read, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He knows Jesus is hungry. Go for the weakness. Jesus, you've got the power. Just turn this stone to bread. Now, each of these temptations are actually presented as a shortcut. Here, I think the devil's trying to remind Jesus that he's not the only one who's hungry. There are lots of people back in the villages who are struggling to get by. The devil might be saying, hey, you want to minister to them? You want to redeem them? You've got the power to feed all those peasants yourself. Turn that stone into bread. And by the way, when he says, if you are the Son of Man, he wasn't questioning whether or not Jesus was really the Son of God. That's our translation. Change that if to a since. Since you are the Son of God. He knows perfectly well that Jesus is the Son of God. Just a few verses later, right after this this encounter, We see that Jesus runs into a man who's possessed by a demon. And the first thing the demon says is, go away. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The devil and his minions know perfectly well who Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't perform the miracle, which the devil kind of wanted as just sort of a magic trick. He doesn't perform the miracle, so the devil tries another tactic. Verses 5 through 8, the devil led him up to a high place, and allowed him in an instant, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Another shortcut. Devil's saying, you could have authority over the whole world. You know that's what God wants anyway. Let's just go ahead and make it happen now. Just say the word and I'll give it to you. Why work so hard? Why go through all that suffering? Why go through the pain of death? And once again, Jesus turns him away with scripture. So the devil says, well, you know what? I know scripture just as well as you do. Starting in verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, he knew the verses. He's quoting Psalms. He's quoting Psalm 91, but he, of course, doesn't quote it quite 
exactly the way it was, uh, it was presented in the Psalms. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. It says, in all your ways. He says to guard you carefully. The Lord's going to guard him even at this point during this temptation. He's going to guard him in all his ways. The shortcut this time was about Jesus' identity. He's saying you got the power to convince all these people right now that you really are the Messiah. When, when they see the performance that you and a couple of angels can put together, ooh-wee, they're going to follow you in an instant, for sure. Just jump. But Jesus says, just stop. He says, don't put, the God, put God to the test. And my King James friends would remember, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus is saying, just stop. I've had enough of this. And then verse 13 says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So a lot can be learned from this story, especially for anyone who's struggling with temptation. And I'm not just talking about problems with staying away from ice cream at night or being able to switch the channel when something racy comes on the TV. Those, those are temptations, of course, too. But I'm also talking about struggling with temptations like getting angry with your spouse, for instance. Maybe he just broke your favorite mixing bowl. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Must have happened to somebody over here. <laughs> or maybe she just tried to clean your mower, and now it won't run. <laughs> You could get angry, right? Tempting, isn't it? That's a temptation to sin. To hold a grudge against someone because they didn't do something you thought they should do. You could resent them and hold that against them. Tempting, isn't it? Well, that's a temptation to sin. Or to just ignore that rough-looking guy that walks the street smoking cigarettes every day. He's not even trying to take care of himself. I'm so glad I'm not like him. Just walk past him without even saying hi. Tempting, isn't it? That's a temptation to sin. This story is helpful for anyone who feels like they're struggling with a particular temptation or even just temptation in general. This morning I want to focus on three important points from this story of Jesus' temptation that hopefully can help us with our struggles. And the first one is, I want to remind you, don't beat yourself up. If you're struggling with a temptation, it does not mean that you did something wrong. Look at our example. Jesus just got baptized. The sky opens up. God says, hey, that's my boy. I love this guy. I'm so proud of him. The Holy Spirit comes down. It's like a reunion. It's a special day. You got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all celebrating Jesus' baptism. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just come down and sit on his shoulder Our text this morning tells us that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how good Jesus was feeling at that moment? But then what happens? As soon as Jesus is alone, the temptations begin. Did God want Jesus to suffer temptations? No. But what the devil meant for evil, God used for good. Hebrews 5.8 tells us, Son, capital S, S-O-N, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus was able to grow stronger by living through those temptations, but that wasn't God's intention. Which brings us to the second point. God is not the source of temptation. Verse 2 makes it very clear that for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. It was the devil that created the temptation, not God. God never creates temptation. In the epistle of James, we're told in James 1, verse 13, that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not God that creates the temptation, it's the devil, but he can't do it alone. Remember that old saying, the devil made me do it? 
that's impossible. He doesn't have that much authority. He needs help. So when he's trying to tempt you, guess who's helping him? Guess who he's getting help from? You. That's right. (laughs) Very good. The next verse in James tells us, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and they are enticed. If I wanted to expose you to the temptations of Satan at their worst, I might take you to a place like Atlantic City or Las Vegas, Sin City, right? Places that are full of sensuality and materialism. But look where Jesus was tempted, in the wilderness, far away from any obvious distractions. And that just reinforces the point that James is making. It's not really about that outward stuff. It's not about the attractive stuff around me. It's not really about the money, the cars, the women. It's not about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It all boils down to one thing. It's the problem with the heart. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus tells his disciples, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, all those big sins. But he keeps going. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy. Uh Uh-oh, he's starting to get into our territory. Slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Giving in to temptation is turning your back on God and saying, I prefer to do it my way. You're following your own evil desires instead of following God's will for your life because we think there's something so attractive about that evil desire. I've mentioned it before. Temptation would be a lot easier to resist if it would appear ugly, gross, disgusting in some way, right? I've got a little story for you along that line. At a middle school in Oregon, there were some girls who were putting on lipstick, and then they'd go into the, well, they'd go into the bathroom first, put the lipstick on, and then they would press their lips up against the the bathroom mirror and put all these little lip marks, little kiss marks all over the the window. And they'd come in the next day, and they were cleaned off, so they'd do it again. And they did it for a while until the principal decided to deal with it. The principal called the girls to the bathroom and she made sure that they knew that this was causing a lot of problem for the, for the custodian. He has to clean those mirrors every day. Well, the girls just kind of looked at each other and giggled because <laughs> they didn't really care. They were having some fun with it. But the principal thought that it might be a good idea to let them know how the custodian cleans off all, all the work he has to do to clean off those mirrors. So he asked the the custodian to go ahead and demonstrate to them how he cleans the mirrors. So the custodian says, okay. He takes out a long-handled brush, he dips it into the toilet, and he starts scrubbing the mirror. (laughs) Since then, there have been no more lip prints on the mirror. So when we're tempted to sin, if we could only see the real filth that we'd be kissing, we wouldn't be so attracted to it. So how can we avoid the temptation to sin? We know that it takes more than just being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, but it didn't stop him from being tempted. So my third point is about how Jesus resisted that temptation. It is written... It is written, it is written. Each time he quoted scripture, he had committed God's word and God's promises to memory. So you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the scripture. Yeah, but the Bible's really just old scrolls and letters that only apply to ancient civilizations. Not true. Even with our modern technology, you'll never face any temptation that isn't addressed in the Bible. Now, you won't find anything in here about 
internet pornography or lottery tickets or our desire for fast, expensive automobiles. But remember, those are the outward, attractive things. Remember that verse that I just read to you. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. While it doesn't talk about fast cars, pornography, any of that sort of thing, it does talk about sexual immorality, greed, envy, those heart problems that make those things temptations in the first place. The Bible has verses for every challenge we will ever face. So we need to find those verses and memorize them so we're ready to pull them out when we're approached by the enemy. And how do we get those Bible verses committed to memory? By being exposed to them constantly. Think about how you remember songs. The first time you hear a song, you don't know it. But the second time you hear it, you know the chorus because it got repeated a few times the first time you heard it. And then the second time you hear it, maybe you remember a verse or a half a verse, but each time you hear it, you're remembering it more and more and more until it's committed to memory and 20 years later, you can still sing that song because it's in your mind, it's in your memory. That repetition, being exposed to it constantly, that's how Jesus knew the scriptures. He wasn't born with Scripture already pre-programmed in his head. This was one of the benefits of divinity that he gave up, the all-knowing part. Remember when Mary and Joseph left Jerusalem, they didn't realize that Jesus had been left behind? When they get back to him, they find him, they, they find him in the temple courts, right? And he's not standing there lecturing people, teaching them. He's listening. The verse says he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. He's learning from them. He learned Bible verses. He committed them to memory. And so he was able to pull them out then when he was confronted by the devil. We need to do the same thing. Read Bible verses. Commit verses to memory. Don't just skim through the verses that are written as the introduction to your upper room. Spend time reading and studying. Attend Sunday school. And I'm not just talking to kids. We have great classes for adults, too. Sunday school is a great way to hear God's word read and explained. You'll hear a verse this week that you heard three weeks ago, five weeks ago. The repetition works. It's in your head. Now, maybe you're giving in to the temptation not to come. You'll say, well, I know all the Bible stories already. I remember seeing them on the flannel boards. Yes, I'm picking on a few. Or if I don't come to Sunday school... It gives me another hour to sleep. You might have a heart problem. Resist the temptation. Get to Sunday school. Get to Bible study. Get to coffee shop theology or get to the evening edition as soon as I get it scheduled. There are great ways to hear God's word and commit it to memory. And then I've got one quick final point. I said three, but I actually have four. The last point I want to make is that the devil never gives up. Notice how verse 13 ends, that the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him, and there's not a period there, he left him until an opportune time. Like when he convinced Peter to say that Jesus should never be killed, and Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Or like when Satan entered Judas, and Jesus said, what you're about to do Do quickly. The devil never gives up. He's going to come back. He's always watching for an opportune time. Do you remember the Charlie Daniels song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia? He runs into a boy named Johnny. They have a fiddle contest. The devil bets a fiddle of gold against Johnny Silva. I feel like I'm going to sing. Um, That that he's a better fiddle player than, than Johnny. So Johnny takes the bet. They play their music, and Johnny wins. But he makes a big mistake. At the end of the story, Johnny's very full of himself. We hear about how the, the devil laid the golden fiddle at the ground, on the ground at Johnny's feet. And Johnny said, devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. What? Don't invite him. He doesn't need an invitation. He's looking for opportunities anyway. He makes this invitation. Come back if you ever want to try it again. That's a big, big mistake. 
He's not going to come back tomorrow while you're still fresh. He's going to come back when you're 80 and you're not able to use those fingers as well as you did before. You're never too old to be tempted. Maybe you can't be tempted with the same things at age 80 that you were tempted at at age 40, but you can still be tempted. You're never too old to be tempted. So you're never too old to memorize some more scripture. So you're never too old for Sunday school. Just a, I keep plugging it. <laughs> Jesus was able to ward off the devil. 40 days of trials, testing, and temptations because he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was filled with scripture. I'll look forward to seeing you in Sunday school next week. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth we find in it. We thank you for the lessons that we get from it. We know that when we pray the model prayer you gave us that we call the Lord's Prayer, we always ask you to lead us not into temptation. We know that you wouldn't tempt us. But we know that there will be many times when we have to face temptation. Help us to spend more time reading and hearing your word. Lead us to take advantage of opportunities to take in more of your word. And help us to be fully prepared to meet the adversary, full of the Holy Spirit and full of your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you to join me. Stand and sing our final hymn, number 355. of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Yep, I'll take the box. I'll